podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. You heard our pilot episode last week. And so today we're just going to kind of roll right into the action. My name is Ryan Heyman. And I'm Ryan Quintel. And we are affectionately known as H and Q. <laughs> Dr. H. Let's go right into, we have, we have three brand new game pitches for you today. One of which submitted by one of our community members, which is wonderful that you guys are already on the ball about that. Unbelievable. Uh, we should re- remind everyone that if they want to submit a game pitch to be read and dissected and uh, extrapolated upon on the air, then they can uh, email us at playwrightcast at gmail.com. They can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch, or they can tweet us at playwrightcast. And that is P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. This is an idea that was inspired by a little game called Monaco. What's mine is yours. I think it's something like that. Have you ever played that one? I don't, I don't think I have. Is that a, that's not a mobile game, is it? I don't think so. It's on PC and probably Xbox 360 and PS3. Okay. Uh, it is a uh, kind of a top-down perspective, kind of like your uh, Hotline Miami's or something like that. Ah. Uh, but it is a multiplayer heist video game uh, where you kind of break into a bank or a casino or something, and tr- and you each have different jobs, and uh, you basically kind of perform this heist. Although it's very, it's more kind of action-oriented. Your skills are things like disguise or you know different attacks or whatnot. Um, And it's all about kind of evading cameras and uh, avoiding detection by the guards and such. Uh, My idea is I want to do kind of a roguelike heist simulator. It randomly generates, well, procedurally generates a bank or a casino. And you basically play one character with one skill set. And your task is to assemble as big of a team as you need to pull off this heist. And so, you know, you don't get to choose your skill set at the beginning of the game. Uh, as a roguelike or a roguelite, <laughs> you are spawned in... Um, and basically, you just try to keep this career going for as long as you can, accumulate as much money as possible through multiple heists. But for any deficiencies that, that your character would have or any additional information that you need, you can choose to hire other people on to your team. These are all AI-controlled, it's a single-player game, but there are a number of skills that can be filled either by your character or by these AI computer uh, assistants. And, you know, they include stuff like um, being able to disguise yourself as a uh, staff member of that place, or being able to track and remember the guard's movement patterns, Ah, or... This is like the full Hitman suite. Yeah, yeah. Being able to hack the cameras or having a, you know, a schematic layout of the bank. Basically, everything in this game is a big kind of risk versus reward calculation that you would be making. And the more people that you hire onto your team, obviously, the more skills you're going to have at your disposal. 
and it'll eventually make the heist go, you know, a lot smoother. And so if you had like a full 11 person team, then you could, you know, pretty easily uh, jump in and jump out of that banker casino and take the money that you need. And um, but you'd also have to be splitting it that many ways. And so you and your uh, your career would be, you know, not as as uh, well compensated for that job as previous <laughs> ones. But of course, as you hire more people, then there's a more likelihood that one of them is going to betray you, or one of them is like a like a rat for the police or something like that. Oh, wow. And so, you know, you're taking those risks. You know, but I just like the idea of being able to uh, go to this location just as a, as a civilian and walk around and kind of get your bearings and learn the, the stage or at least the parts of it that you're allowed to be in without raising too much suspicion. Right. Although, you know, if you go back every day for, you know, two weeks straight, you might learn the layout pretty well. You might take notes. People are going to start noticing you and it's going to, you know, slowly kind of like raise your notoriety in this place. And so everything is a is a risk versus reward. You want to do things effectively and you want to plan things out, but you don't want to raise the suspicion. And that's kind of the thing that I wanted to do in this is that I wanted a game where you really feel like you have to plan out these heists. So with that, let's uh, start the clock and tear this apart. I think this sounds really cool. So this risk reward mechanic, I'm, I'm, I guess my first question is the team that I'm assembling, how do I, are they sort of pervasive? Do they last throughout all my tries or all my, Mm. I guess, player characters? Like, are they sort of, there's always the main crew and then the one guy who keeps cycling out, (laughs) just the non-successful thief. Um, or is it like each time it takes me scouring, you know, the first X amount mm. of the level to like collect those people. Yeah, I, I really like the way that Grand Theft Auto Five does this actually, where you have like a list of names of people that, you know, you've heard of, you've heard of their skills and you can choose to hire them. There's, you know, rankings on how effective they are or um, something like that. If you have a team member who has worked with one of them before, then they can kind of vouch for them. Oh, uh, cool. And so to kind of like minimize that risk. And then they um, both betray you. <laughs> yeah, no, it could be as well. Everything is kind of reset. The entire world is reset. You know, every time that you lose, every time that you go to jail or every time that you're shot by the cops or something because the uh, roguelite elements. And so if you learned to, you know, not trust Oscar Mendez the first time around, then, you know, he, he, that name, if it does, you know, randomly come up again, might just be a a great criminal next time around. You never know. I automatically, my brain goes to all of these colorful side characters having like, you know, snake eyes and all these sort of like (laughs) criminal nickname sort of things. Mm -hmm. But I'm also imagining like at the end of a successful playthrough you're seeing a montage of all the characters that got like locked up or injured throughout Mm. the entire playthrough because this is like the first time in a while i guess where i've heard of a stealth game where there actually is a consequence this person goes away now right Mm, yeah yeah i love rogue legacy and i think some of the best playthroughs in rogue legacy are when you're kind of dealt a woefully incompetent character (laughs) Uh uh-huh 
So it'd be interesting to see how far somebody could kind of stumble through a bank heist. Yeah, it's true. I like in Rogue Legacy how they give you like disabilities and disadvantages as well. Yeah. And so, you know, everything that's not within a very close proximity is going to be blurry or something like that. And so that could definitely, you can have like... you owe someone very important a lot of money. Yeah, it could be. You could start off with a disadvantage as far as money goes. Uh, And then, of course, you have to fund all of these as well. And so if you choose to go in kind of bare bones, just, uh, you know, slap on some false mustaches and that doesn't cost very much. If you choose to go in armed or, or drill holes in the walls and stuff, and that's going to cost a little bit more money. And all of this kind of eats away at the, uh, the final amount of money that your, your, uh, great criminal is going to be worth in the end. And that's, that's where the real high score chasing comes in. I do like the idea of spending more money for more sort of exotic disguises, because that could put off that thing, mm. that sort of problem that you introduced where people will eventually start recognizing you. Yeah. I'd love to see like the most advanced version of that essentially be the face maker of Mission Impossible. Maybe Pose is a totally <laughs> different person who like, oh, I'll get this crooked guy in my crew arrested as opposed to me or something. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun if there were like competing gangs. Yeah, right. <laughs> of, uh, of gonna bring heisters. heat on someone else, which yeah, is kind of yeah. cool. Like if you notice somebody else hanging around this spot quite often every day, <laughs> and you're like, I don't know if I like the look of him. <laughs> I'm going to throw some shade his way. So I think it's a matter of, for me, this idea, like being made, whoever, of course, everybody's going to make all of our games on this show, but whoever makes <laughs> this game is really going to have to focus on like, making sure that the stealth feels super good right because there i the way you're describing it is it kind of metal gear solidy in your mind is this is it top down a la the monaco where you can kind of see cones and arcs and that sort of thing or yeah kind of i kind of almost want to have like an element of clumsiness to it like i don't want the character to be able to you know crawl under doors or whatever kind of like solid it's not too elegant right Because I I want to really reinforce that, like, the character that we are playing as has one thing that he or she's good at. And you can hire somebody else that has, you know, gymnastic ability, or maybe you might luck out and be the gymnast and be able to do all these wonderful things, but then you would be deficient in everything else that could come in handy. And so I always want you to feel like every skill is useful. And you're going to miss not having each skill, each playthrough. I would almost add in a layer where maybe each new mission or each new heist or area or whatever require, like, demands proficiency in a particular thing, only because once you just assemble Mm. a team that makes up for your deficiencies, um, or maybe they can't cover all the deficiencies, so you actually do end up in a scenario where you're like, okay, this is actually going to be difficult for this team yeah. that is normally good at, at other yeah, things. Yeah, that's right. How do you keep the challenge going when you've assembled a pretty good team after a couple of heists? Maybe during each mission, any one of your team can become, you know, nabbed or arrested or whatever. Yeah, sure. I mean, if, if somebody is left out in the open, then they could be taken off to jail. I also like the idea of events happening at certain points in time that you can kind of plan things around as well. Like I see all these great heist movies are always like, you know, we got to go in during the night of the big fight or, you Mm. know, uh, Tom Jones is playing this casino on Sunday and everyone's going to be there. So the, uh, the, the room is going to be unsupervised that night. And so taking up a kind of contextual clues from the environment and just letting this casino or this bank just kind of live 
and you can choose to host to host your heist on any night that you want or any day that you want any time it's yeah. just you know up to you to go in the the game doesn't script anything it's just uh everything is just how good of attention have you paid and how much risk have you taken beforehand to minimize risk when it really matters i wonder if there's sort of a, a communication to the computer you could do during the setup of one of these things of like what if the, you know, kind of almost like black screen, just imagine just text, almost like the beginning of Firewatch or something, where it's like, hey, what if so-and-so gets pinched? All right, everybody go to the getaway car. Kind of a way to be like, this is the failure state and define mm. it for your team. Uh, so you can like abort a situation and live to fight another day, even if it did cost you a ton of money and resources huh. to do so. That's interesting. Or or maybe just having like a button on the side of the interface that just says, just you know, abort. once you press that, just say like, get out of the building. Yeah. <laughs> just leave whatever you're holding. What was it a Mission Impossible? The, when everybody had the knock list is in the open, like everybody get out. You know, you're imagining these systems. I don't know if you've thought about it from just a systems perspective or if like an aesthetic jumps out at you. Aesthetic is always hard. And that's something that would really kind of have to come in time. I don't necessarily have anything in mind, but um, but you would need everything to be pretty immediately recognizable. You right. need to be able to kind of layer on multiple viewpoints, depending on, you know, like I really like uh, Gunpoint is an excellent game. It, it does a good job of uh, having a pretty bold graphical style and then overlaying the kind of electrical circuits of whatever building you're in when you switch to that mode. And so maybe if you are the electrical specialist, then you could, you know, see the world in electrical circuits and, and stuff like that. So just being able to communicate enough information to the player. That's really interesting because now you're, you're sort of working with a mechanic of though. Some of those abilities allow you to see, layers of the level that wouldn't normally be accessible to you like that gymnast person they mm -hmm. they you know highlight all the vents and the ducts and they're like the hiding this is places and right, such yeah <laughs> this is where i would i would go versus like you know the brute or whatever you know yeah, takes yeah. cover and just has <laughs> here's where they keep all the guns or whatever <laughs> well that is our 10 minutes so we're gonna have to put a bow on that one but uh we should come up with a name for that one uh, this obviously is just a joke name. This is not something I would actually call it, but I want to call this one Plunder Tale. Ooh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and there's one from me. Let's hear from you, Q. What do you have for us this week? I've got a good one this week, I think. And I, I should let the audience judge, but I'm feeling confident. So last week we talked a little bit about a realistic uh, city sim, and I kind of went the realistic-ish route this time too so i i have always wanted a game where you're just kind of inventing things inventing products and gizmos mm, okay. and gadgets and you're kind of you know creating all sorts of stuff and so the the way i'm thinking about it is you you are essentially given an audience and a goal and <laughs> and uh -huh. you have to then use parts and you you kind of you could almost imagine a comedy route of this game could be like that sort of mm -hmm. physicsy sort of simulator thing but assuming it's you know slick and realistic you can make things like electronics kitchen appliances hmm. toys instruments tools and utensils it sounds very broad but imagine it very basic building blocks all up like a 
a banjo nuts and bolts sort of stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. And you you start off, you, you're able to kind of toggle through styles like mid-century modern, Scandinavian, organic, you know, minimalist, <laughs> that sort of thing. You're assembling things, and I'll, I'll kind of break these these down. So you have a big shelf, right? And the shelf has a bunch of different slots on it. Maybe it's a showroom, something with kind of level markers. And a level will be like, hey, this is, uh, the audience is split by uh, territory, ages, and income levels. Okay. And so one slot might be like, we're looking for a toy for the elderly in North America. Okay. <laughs> okay. And so your job is to come up with that. And each product you kind of release into the wild sells at a certain rate. So it's making you a little bit of money per month. Hmm. And you're kind of unlocking, okay, we need entertainment for kids in Europe or whatever. And as you're making these products, uh, depending on how successful they are, they make different amounts of money. And then you use that money that allows you essentially to unlock more sophisticated parts and pieces and also even more uh, exotic materials and then eventually new regions that you're able to like ship your products to. Mm, okay. So you kind of start in one area and then like, well, you know, what area, whatever territory you choose and you continuously build your sort of product empire all the while, like say, for example, there are sorts of stats for each audience, right? So like the, the elderly and children can't lift something that's too heavy. Mm-hmm. Right or kids can't have something that's too sharp, uh, low income. You can't make something that's <laughs> uh-huh. too expensive. So uh-huh. you're trying to assemble your products to a cost and and sort of stat relationship to really fit your markets well, maximize your profits, and then it almost it almost goes over to becoming a clicker of sorts. So these things are just generating money, mm-hmm. money, okay. money for you. Um, and the products, like any product, slowly becomes less popular <laughs> over time mm-hmm. until you're, you have a big old shelf with a bunch of products that are all kind of making money for you in different territories. And you're forced to sort of continue to build new ones with more exotic materials and dyes and colors and, and all these things to kind of keep your profits always maximized uh, at each slot on the shelf. Okay. So, that being said, there's a lot of kind of open questions about this, but we'll close this as being the pitch section. Okay, cool. Well, let's start the clock then. I have uh, I have a lot of questions about this. <laughs> I think I've got some answers. I think I've got some answers. Cool. So, when you were first describing this, I kind of pictured it as being like a Rube Goldberg machine, like, you know, Pee Wee Herman's breakfast machine. Yeah. And, you know, you would have a task that needed to be accomplished, and you had you know, a a shelf full of things like a pulley, a boot, and one of those like Native American sculptures that put outside of cigar shops. Mm, Yeah. So a little closer to like a little big planet toolkit, if you will. Right. Okay. The way that I was picturing it was that like it would solve that specific purpose and the, the test of success or failure would be whether or not it performed the physical task that it was setting out to do. Mm. Uh, it seems what you're describing is more of kind of like it would judge it based on aesthetics and probably based on like certain tags that we would be applied to each item. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture, you know, since it's not accomplishing a 
like a physics task or something. Like how do you judge a good product from a bad product? I think you're right in there would have to be a series of uh, prefabricated things, whether they're like pointy things or long poles Mm -hmm. or that sort of stuff. Um, And surely some electrical things in there too. So the way I see it is you have to take the three like low, medium, high income levels um, and then we'll put like the insanely rich maybe somewhere <laughs> in there too for mm-hmm. fun. Uh, so they need different things, right? They're, they're looking at cost because I, I, what I didn't get into is like setting margins on this stuff. I think you should be able to price these products. Well, so let's put the simulation stuff aside for right now yeah. and just focus on the construction bit right sure. now. These are kind of like two separate games that are, you know, kind of like in uh, fable three, how the objective shifts once you get into <laughs> later in the game. Right. And so, uh, from what I understand you saying is, uh, each of these parts would have certain properties attached to it. It would have a weight. It would have a function. It would have a size. It would have a pointiness, non-pointiness, mm-hmm. uh, all of these different functions, all of these different properties for each part. And, yes, and additionally, it would also have a, a cost of that part, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Each item that you are requested be made uh, would have certain requirements. And so your job is to find the most effective combination of these parts that satisfies all of those requirements, but, you know, doesn't break the bank. It might just be pulling all these different things together and attaching them in this way that looks a little wacky on our end, but meets the requirements. Is that Uh, Am I kind of understanding correctly? You're totally getting it. So yeah, you're, whether or not this is a, a spore creature creator sort of organic (laughs) type of experience versus a, uh, a Minecraft blocky type of experience, I think is, you know, up to you. Makes me think of the Sims three, how you could, uh, you can get, I think it's an architect career in one of the expansion packs where somebody would say, I need a bathroom. It needs a mirror, a toilet and an armoire. I don't know why you need that in the bathroom, but uh, <laughs> a lot of towels. And then you would basically just have free reign to buy whatever you need for that house and decorate their own little room. But as long as it had those core components and it didn't go over budget, then you were okay and you would get paid for your job. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like that. I think one thing that would make it interesting is if the items on your shelf are randomized to the beginning of each playthrough so that you would only have, you'd have to be, get kind of creative because you're working with scarcity of resources already yes and then if you could only like you had a limited amount of uh or you could only use each item on your shelf once to create your prototypes you know for some reason you couldn't just get more parts 3d printed and sent to you even though you were a international investor at that point but (laughs) of course um, and so if you needed a part from an older product then you would have to pick one that was, you know, kind of starting to wane in popularity and um, and basically take that one apart. Uh, you'd obviously stop getting an income for that product and then, you know, kind of cannibalize yeah. that part to put on the new product and hope that that one sells at a greater rate than the no longer popular product that you took off the market to create it. They are selling. balancing that risk reward stuff again. Yeah, kind of like how uh, old arcade cabinets used to be made from the parts of older arcade cabinets, <laughs> uh, you know, because they say we have all these chips lying around where you have all these, these televisions lying around, use them for something. And then the game creators would have to kind of create within those specifications. You know, uh, it had occurred to me when I was thinking about this concept that you might end up, I think the limiting the parts is, is good and interesting because 
I was also thinking there might be a need that arises uh, for one territory that actually something that is making money for you somewhere else is mm-hmm. better suited to. Right. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, I'm going to take this old clock radio that nobody really wants anymore in America and I'm going to sell it to, <laughs> I'm going to sell it to somebody else. <laughs> and which is I, something that companies do for sure. Mm-hmm. But to kind of min max and slot things around and say, okay, well, I mean, maybe in say one territory, people really like complex things or mm-hmm. exotic materials where another prefers a more sort of naturalistic, uh, simple mm-hmm. thing. Um, that kind of is a, an interesting balancing act to sort of always be trying to, to tweak. I'm not sure. One thing about this is I'm not sure if the game ends or if it's just kind of like a city sim, just always problems are arising and you're just always trying to make your cash number go up. Yeah. I'd imagine you could kind of get to a point of equilibrium at the end there. I like what you're saying about taking things off the market. Like what if there was a... Uh, kind of a market revolt to you doing that kind of like, uh, you know, you say you need, you know, these microchips. And so you're taking the NES classic off the market and then everyone's like, Hey, wait a minute. I didn't get to buy one. What's going on? No, no, <laughs> sure. no. And, uh, so you know, like we get a little real time Twitter or something over on the right hand side. Oh, the customers might react to that next time you put a product products in the market and they might, you know, buy more because of the scarcity or they might buy less because they're angry with you as a company. So that's interesting. Maybe the money is the the money, the kind of number that's always going up or down is not just the re, the sort of cash resource you have on hand, but it's your quote brand equity as gross mm. as I feel yeah, like saying your stock that word. or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like stocks going up, all these products are selling good. And of course, I've already planned the nonsense expansion Okay. On this game, which is you get to design the packaging for all your products. All right. All right. <laughs> like you were saying earlier, you could have different like themes of products. What if all of the parts on your shelf were kind of like just woodblock parts? And then as you are assembling them, you can kind of like choose the theming at that point. And so you can come up with something that looks pretty good at the end that has a consistent theme or that has cool clashing colors or something, or, you know, you can paint it whatever color you need it to. And so you can kind of have some control over how it looks at the product stage, even though you are just kind of prototyping on your end. Yeah. Aesthetically in my head, I keep targeting something a little bit like, uh, I don't know if you played the mobile game shadow Matic. Hmm, no, I don't know uh, that one. It, it's kind of got these really sort of smooth, wooden forms that you're able to just kind of rotate until they make the correct silhouette. Oh, yeah. You know what? Actually, I have played that. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It reminds me of a Zenbound from early, early in the yes. iPhone days. Yeah. So Zenbound's a great example too, where I just imagine you're kind of like taking these forms of, and of course they'd be, they'd have to be more complex based on the goal or whatever. We'd have to give you something, you know, we can't say build a radio from wood blocks or whatever. <laughs> But um, you can build the shapes and then those shapes could have like their functions written on them. Kind of like, you know, you gave the example of Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts, like each of those blocks has a function and you can attach it to another block and be assured that as long as they are connected physically, then they will perform their function. That's a really great way, I, I feel like, of simplifying it because you really don't want someone super caught in the weeds of products. I think what you want people to do is like experiment and try something that they think might work, release it, and then start yeah, reaping yeah. the 
the consequences. I guess I was going to say <laughs> rewards, but it might be consequences. All right, we're going to have to stop that one there. Do you have a name for this? The name in my head is Inventures. <laughs> oh, that has to be a thing already. That's I know, a really it good is. one. It really is. It's got to be. Uh, all right, Inventures. I like that. <laughs> uh, or Inventure Time. <laughs> oh, Inventure Time. That's, that's a little too close. <laughs> All right, we have uh, one final game pitch today, and this is a submission from our audience. Uh, this comes from Spencer Saunders, that is at Telepri, that is T-L-E-P-R-I-E on Twitter, who says, Overcooked plus FTL. And that is uh, FTL Faster Than Light, a spaceship simulator, overcooked, a, uh, what would you call it, a hectic kitchen For sampler, sure. where you kind of rush around the kitchen and all perform different tasks, but there's always more tasks than there are people. So you kind of have to manage trading places and, and performing different tasks on the fly. And then FTL being a rather difficult roguelike uh, spaceship simulator where you basically have to kind of man your own Star Trek crew and kind of operate all of the functions of the ship and try to get as far out in space as you can before getting blown to bits by an enemy or crashing into an asteroid. Uh, you probably won't make it far because it's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did not have a ton of success. This description says, The cooperation, movement, and basic interaction mechanics of Overcooked, but in an FTL-like setting, players must work together to fend off aggressive space pirates and other threats. Level progression can take from both of the base games, a story mode with set levels like Overcooked, or a randomly generated survival-like mode. Since the player team would probably remain on the same ship from one encounter to the next most of the time, the challenging and interesting level design of Overcooked would take shape in boarding missions to enemy ships. It would be easier to destroy the enemy ship from inside, but that leaves fewer people on board the team ship to put out sometimes literal fires. Mm. And he mentions a soundtrack by Danny Baranowski. Never a bad shout. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, the speaking of uh, mashups or games mm -hmm. that kind of already exist, this in, in part reeks of. Have you uh, seen or played the game Lovers in a Dangerous yes. <laughs> Space Time? I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that that one's one that I had my eye on uh, for quite a while before it even released, and I'm I really do love that game. <laughs> I think this is really cool. I there's. There's something about it that to me shouts uh, almost kind of Scotty simulator from Star Trek yep, yep. where he's always, anytime you see Scotty, at least in the modern incarnations of him, he's always running around like a chicken with his head cut off, mm -hmm. um, sometimes <laughs> literally putting out fires. And I think adding in the overcooked stuff of, you know, uh, bumping into each other and just, mm, you know, yeah neglecting i don't know if this happens to you in overcooked but whenever i play with other people we always at some point end up neglecting a very basic task once <laughs> complexity grows so for example mm -hmm. it's always who's going to do the dishes none of us ever agree to do the dishes so then none <laughs> yeah, of us like real life <laughs> exactly so i think that that could be really cool especially if the background is this sort of moving spaceship and you're dealing with enemies coming at you you know who's in charge is the big yeah, question yeah. my first thought was uh, lovers as well but you know i don't want to just kind of leave it there like i i think one of the interesting things that spencer brings up here is the idea of boarding enemy ships as well uh you know in lovers in a, a dangerous space time you're given 
a very comfortable and familiar ship that kind of becomes your home that you become uh, well suited to. You mm -hmm. all know the different parts and what they all do. But uh, I like the idea of having similar gameplay, but in an unfamiliar environment. And, you know, if you kill the enemy captain, who's flying the ship anymore? And you want to make sure that while you're you know, plundering it or while you're trying to rescue hostages or whatever, it's not going to go careening into a star or something like that. And so you have to kind of figure out how to fly it or you have to figure out how to interact with the navigational system or read the maps. Oh, man. While you're on the ship to uh, to progress. So it's funny. There's uh, I'm a I'm a big Star Trek fan. And in Star Trek Four, uh, there's quite a few references as they're flying around a stolen Klingon ship mm -hmm. that they don't know how to read Klingon. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of everything is a this might work, this might not scenario. Mm -hmm. And and I do think it's interesting, you know, if you took that sort of lovers, you start with your own ship and you know, from battle to battle or throughout this journey, you're you're taking it as far as you can take it. But when that thing is ready to explode you got to just get on one of the enemy ships that's around you or something. And now that's your home ship, assuming you like clear all the enemies off or whatever. And you're dealing with a whole new set of like, Ooh, this one flies super weird or, <laughs> uh, going back to that sort of, I guess a lot of roguelike stuff we've been talking about this episode. Here's an idea. And this is going to be a kind of out of left field thing. Is that a term right field left? Anyways, I think it's left. Okay, cool. I know my baseball. <laughs> what if you are like an intergalactic repo man or something and basically, or like a tow truck driver or something like that. And you have to find these, you know, derelict spaceships. And sometimes they've been inhabited by hostile creatures or something. And you basically have to fly out there. Your ship has a, like a homing beacon, like it can autopilot its way back home, but you need to pilot this new ship back to base. And so, you know, you, you get paid more for excursions that are further out, but then that's an additional challenge as you have to kind of wrangle this thing back home. You know, you might be horribly understaffed. You don't know if you're going out for something that requires a galleon like crew or whether you can just kind of pilot this thing all by yourself. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I like all of these kind of risk reward type things and these uncertainties, but, uh, I don't know, something about having a menial job, but it taking place in an adventurous space has always been fun for me. So in sort of the, the product game, you talked about phases, and now I'm, I, my mind is going to phases of this, of like phase one is you and your ship that you, you know in and out, and you're like catching up to fighting and disabling this ship. Mm -hmm. Step two is like boarding it, you know, getting rid of the, the enemy combatants, and then figuring out how to like get this thing working again. And then you're in the th perilous third act of piloting it back, trying to fight, you know, whatever Armada was just called because you stole a ship. And, <laughs> and so oh, that's right. Yeah. You could have some sort of a uh, combat situations as well. Right. So now you're figuring, you're like, Oh man, like I upset everybody for, by taking this thing and like each, you know, maybe there's only, seven whole missions total, but they're all these like grand three arc space opera things. <laughs> the one worry that I would have is that this additional complexity of the unfamiliarity with enemy systems and stuff like that would uh, interfere with the kind of like party game craziness 
that uh, you know something like an overcooked can can give you. I think uh, Spencer's original vision was this was supposed to be kind of like uh, you know on the wacky fun kind of side of the spectrum, mm. and um, you know I don't know in my head whether or not this these additional challenges would increase that uh that crazy funness kind of like the uh difficult controls of gang beasts makes that a more hectic and fun think on your feet experience or if it would the tasks are so complex that you really have to buckle down and just choose your two favorite tasks instead of being compelled to run all over this new ship and try to man all the systems yeah maybe i mean i think taking back from the overcooked playbook if i can have you know a couple people with me and essentially all the components of every spaceship are the same. It's just a matter of sort of layout uh, that is fluctuating on you. Maybe you are able to control enough variables there to make it like, oh, well, this one, the cannons are on the back of the ship. So mm-hmm. we're just going to have to do that. You know, when you're in a safe space, then literally space in this case, <laughs> and you would uh, want to run all over the ship and try to discover where everything is and what everything does and make sure that when you get into trouble, because you will get into trouble at some point, whether it's an asteroid field or whether it's enemy ships flying up behind you or other pirates that are trying to take over the ship, um, you know, you want to make sure that you know how the cannons work at that point and you know where the shields are and you know, you know, what side of the ship the shields protect and such. What if also you're struggling against limited fuel or limited batteries, kind of like that that balance in Five Nights at Freddy's where you you want to have your defenses up all the time, but that drains your battery. And so you got to be really careful with uh, with what you choose to prioritize. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And it's being able to have any sort of expenditure. Maybe it's even that like once you have all these ships that you've collected, um, you could have the mechanic where you're just like getting you know, some score or resource form, or maybe you can just be like, do you want this to be your new default ship now so that you start every mission with? Um, and you can kind mm. of just decide, Hey, you know what? This thing's pretty great. And it's my own now. I kind of like a, a scoring system of if this was a roguelike, if you die, then that's it. You have to start over, but you can sustain some level of damage. And as long as you make it back to whatever, you know, repo industry that you're working with, with some scrap of a ship, then you can get paid some money for it. Uh, kind of like in a, in like Grand Theft Auto games where they'll give you a task to steal a car and then if you bang it up all the way home, then you barely get paid anything for it. <laughs> That's so you cool. got to be kind of careful as well, uh, right. which I think would kind of complement the crazy kind of clumsy nature of the gameplay. Sure, especially if you uh, you put the wrong kind of fuel or something in the wrong compartment and you mess up the engines real bad. <laughs> All right, we've got to think of a name for this one now. How about like Space Junkers or something like that? You're going around collecting all these junkers and just trying to barely make them back over the over the border again. I like Space Junkers. Cool, cool. Hmm. Well, in the tradition of Clive Barker's Jericho and Sid Meier's Pirates, this is Spencer Saunders' Space Junkers. <laughs> Spencer, awesome suggestion. Awesome. We're our first, I'm so excited that this is where we're starting. Yeah, that's right. And if you would like to hear your uh, game ideas discussed and uh, maybe taken in air in directions that you're not comfortable with, you never know. <laughs> I don't know if Spencer wanted this to be a Space Junkers game, but uh, it is now. <laughs> Spencer, either sorry or you're welcome. <laughs>
feel free to write us at playwrightcast at gmail.com. Uh, throw us a pitch at playwrightcast.com slash pitch or tweet us at playwrightcast and we will read it on next week's show or a future show. We will keep a list if we receive more than one per week, which I hope we do. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Anyways, thank you very much for joining us for episode two. We hope you've had a lot of fun as well. Guys, remember, we're a new podcast, so the best thing, the mm. best way to help us out is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. We would super appreciate it, and we will forever love you for it. Yeah, and please tell your friends, tell your grandmas. Uh, that's pretty much the two groups that we're trying to appeal to, just friends and grandmas. Special thanks to Protodome, whose song Hello World is the playwright theme song. So go get that at Bandcamp. We will catch you next week. See you then. <laughs>